the practice of Jewish faith in the Bible, there were seven different festivals that were a part of Jewish worship. And of those seven, there were three that were the primary festivals that we hear about from time to time. There was the festival of Passover that led into the weekend that Jesus was crucified and that we celebrate Easter from. Then 50 days after Passover was Pentecost and was a major celebration. And then in the fall was the celebration known as tabernacles, sometimes also referred to booths, and the Jewish name for that was Sukkot, and it simply was about thanksgiving to God. This festival came out of the fact that they had been delivered from Egypt. And so when they came to celebrate that, they would celebrate by getting in booths that were like tents as a reminder to when they were in the transition from Egypt to the promised land and they were living in tents as they traveled across the desert. And so they would come back together to be reminded of what God had done for them. And it was a time when they would, uh, in celebrating that, they would also celebrate the harvest season of the fall. And then it was a time that they anticipated this promise that a Messiah was coming who was going to set them free, who was going to be there for them, and they could not wait for Messiah to come. So that festival was in celebration. If you read in the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 7, that's what's going on in the background of the narrative. By the time we get to chapter 9, you have the story of the blind man that Jesus healed. And I want you to understand this story in light of it being in the middle of that kind of celebration. I want you to look at the screens for a minute and let's bring up that first picture. This is a a depiction, an artist depiction, that would be uh, in looking at current city of Jerusalem in the area of what we know as Temple Mount, which is that raised area that you see the gold dome up kind of in the very top uh, left portion as I'm looking at it. And uh, that whole area that's raised there on that platform, we know as Temple Mount. It's about 35 acres. And where that gold dome is, is where the temple sit in New Testament times. Now come a little bit further down the picture, you see the smaller dome right there, and that's the uh, mosque that is sitting there today of Al-Aska, and uh, basically right there on just this side of that, you see what is the outer wall of Temple Mount that would be on the south side of the temple. And uh, if you could see that up close, That whole area is an area that's just a broad uh, span that has steps and then platform areas that would lead up to the temple. And probably that area right there is actually 
where what happened after the uh, 120 came out of the upper room on the day of Pentecost, what we read about in the book of Acts happened right there. Now, if you keep coming down, you'll see what is kind of a winding road that comes off here over to the left of the picture as you're looking at it, and then comes and winds down, and then you see the pool, looks like a swimming pool, down at the very bottom here, and that is the pool of Salome. Uh, as it would have been in Bible days. And this one is kind of an interesting mix of showing you what it would have been like in Bible days, but also what it actually is like today when you look up at Temple Mount and you see the Dome of the Rock. In those days, it wouldn't have been the Dome of the Rock. It would have been the temple that was sitting there, and you wouldn't have had the mosque down on this end of it. As a matter of fact, down underneath at that end was where in the days of David and Solomon, that's where Solomon's stables were for his horses. And then this whole area that comes down where you see this winding road, to the right of that is what we would call the city of David. And that's where the palace was that David lived in. And all of that is is a progression so that when you get down to the Pool of Siloam, you're really down at the bottom of what continues to extend up as a the side of a mountain. And that area where the dome is, is what we know as Mount Moriah. That's where Abraham offered Isaac. That's where uh, uh, the temple set through all those years, just strategic to the days and so in this day where uh, we are going to read from John 9 today people were coming because when they came they were instructed if you were a good practicing Jew you came to the temple during these festivals and before you could enter into the area of Temple Mount that area of the temple you had to be washed in water for purification as a symbol that you were being purified so that you could go into the area where the presence of God dwelt. God's presence in Old Testament times prior to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, God's presence was contained inside the Holy of Holies, inside that temple where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so you could come and the priest would go in that up inner area, but you could come and bring sacrifices to the temple but before you could approach the temple you had to be washed at one of the primary pools where you could be washed so that you would then be pure to go to the temple was this pool down here known as the pool of Siloam and then it's about a 700 yard journey up the side as you're going alongside the city of David that will take you then into the area where you can go inside the gates that are now sealed up you can still when you get there see where the gates were that went in through the wall and then into the temple grounds but that was the point of entry when this festival was going on that was full of people because that was the way that you came to go into the temple. And that's where Jesus and his disciples would have gone going up into the temple. Now I want to go to the next picture. You see right there, that by the way is uh, Aiden, who was our guide, and then Doug who was with us on the trip. And you see a little bit of grace uh, right here on this end. What I just showed you of that picture of the artist con uh, concept of going up the side of that hill, 
This is the reality of what it looks like today, and that would probably be about 50 yards up the hill from where that blue fountain was, or the blue pool, that was the Pool of Siloam. And in biblical days, that walkway would have been about 25 feet wide, and that would have been the road that you went from where you had washed at the Pool of Siloam to go up into the area of the temple. Now go to the next picture. And along that way, there's Shelley, uh, is markets that they're recreating that would have been where you bought whatever you needed to buy, whatever you needed because you were coming from out of town to come to these events. And so this was literally open markets and they're recreating today what that would have looked like in biblical times. So it's being done. What I just showed you a moment ago in the picture in this area Really, no one knew exactly where it was until 2013, I believe it was, and there was a sewer main that broke, and there was a potato field where it broke, and any time over there where they're in an area that's sensitive to potential biblical times and they need to do any work, there's always a crew of archaeologists they bring in. And so they had archaeologists come, and the next thing you know, they discovered that trail and the beginning of this area where this marketplace was. And then go one more picture. That is actually a picture of the Pool of Siloam today. That was not even able to be seen until about that time frame. Now, the boardwalk doesn't go back to the time of Jesus. That's been put in so that you can walk along beside it. Uh, but the, the rock themselves would have been the rock that the man would have walked down to go into that pool, but it would have looked like the picture that we first saw in those days with the water. It would have gone on across beyond where they have dug out to where you can see where it is today. Actually, we got to meet the archaeologist because he's friends of Amy that uh, led us on the trip, and Adrian. Uh, we got to meet him one day in the, in the Jewish marketplace, and he was actually the archaeologist that they were digging one day, and they started brushing aside, and they saw steps, and it was the Pool of Siloam. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years later, and they've now discovered, it's amazing what archaeology is doing to confirm truth that we've known for a long time. But now there's physical evidence of that. I just wanted you to see that this morning because that's the background of the story that we're going to talk about. And so this was a time where this anticipation was going on. Jesus and his disciples were gathered for this experience that day. And uh, it was typical of what we do. You know, this weekend we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. And we all have different forms of how we do that. But the truth is, it's a lot of ritual. It's usually a day for me of great disappointment because normally the Dallas Cowboys play on Thanksgiving Day. And there's more years that that is a sad day than a happy day. This year I'm praying to God it's a happy day. But the sad thing is that we get caught up in just observing ritual. And it isn't just Thanksgiving. We're getting ready to move into Christmas season. And I pray that this Christmas season, our hearts would be so prepared to see the fullness of God sending his son to us. And that this year, Christmas will be so much more than just about presents 
and trees and lights and all the paraphernalia that go around it to being a work that God does in our heart. And I believe this story today gives us a preparation for what God wants us to see. Because here all these people are coming for this religious celebration of the fact that God miraculously delivered the children of Israel from Egyptian slavery. He took them across the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea that uh, the waters parted and they went across and then the waters came back over and drowned Pharaoh and his chariots. You know what's interesting? In recent years, there's an area that they found out in the desert by where the Red Sea is and you know what they found? They found impressions that would fit wheels of chariots. Wonder where those came from. And so they were here to celebrate that. They were here to celebrate. They're in the middle of a political uphill on Fox News every night. They were talking about what was happening with the Roman Empire. Sean Hannity would be talking about all of the evils that were happening in Rome and the high priest and everything they were doing bad and all the people would huddle around their their computer screens and their iPads to watch because they wanted Messiah to come and all the pundits would tell them how awful it was and they didn't even know Messiah was in their midst God deliver us from American news and open up the word of God and let us begin to be people of the word who make news happen bigger than the news of the world. Because that's what Jesus did in the middle of this festival. They're just coming to go through the motions. And Jesus messes with them. It's why this series is called The Radical Ways of God. And today, the title is Clear as Mud, and that'll become clear as mud in just a minute. Look with me at John chapter 9, verse 1. Afterward, as Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Teacher, whose sin caused this guy's blindness, his own or the sin of his parents? Jesus answered, Neither. It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. While I am with you, it is daytime, and we must do the works of God who sent me while the light shines. For there is coming a dark night when no one will be able to work. As long as I am with you, my life is the light that pierces the world's darkness. Then Jesus spat on the ground and made some clay with his saliva. Then he anointed the blind man's eyes with the clay. And he said to the blind man, now go and wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Siloam we just looked at. So he went and washed his face. And as he came back, he could see for the first time in his life. What if you went to the doctor? Doctor said, I want you to come outside with me. You go outside his office And he starts digging in the flower bed. And he gets some dirt. And he does, my dad used to do this early in the morning. It was the grossest thing. He go, (laughs) and then spit. So what Jesus did, he takes that dirt and the saliva and it all comes to be this anointed mud. (laughs) 
been some of us we would have said, I think I'll just be blind. <laughs> Jesus touches his eyes and everything changes. I want us to look at this this morning because I think there's powerful truth in this. And it begins with, with these people who are questioning. <clears throat> you know, people are funny. Have you ever noticed a lot of people are always looking for the negative? You ever met anybody like that? They're wanting to find the downside. And, uh, you know, today you could take one or two approaches. You could go outside and say, it is so stinking cold, which I must confess I did. Or you could look and say, man, the sun is shining as bright here as it is in Florida. Is the cup half full or half empty? Here's one of the things that becomes a challenge for us. And that is choosing to magnify God rather than sin. Verses 2 and 3, his disciples ask him, Teacher, whose sin caused this guy's blindness, his own or the sin of his parents? Jesus answered, neither. It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. So important to recognize there is a direct correlation between sin and sickness. They're very connected because sickness came out of sin being in the world. Before sin came in the world, there was no sickness. But once sin happened, it released the power of sickness within the world. And I think one of the things that's interesting is that we sometimes get caught up with the need to have the right answer. And when it comes to the issue of sickness, the enemy has had a heyday with the church because he's gotten us in one or two corners that one of the two corners we end up getting in. Either we get in the corner that says, well, we don't know whether God caused this because of something he's going to do in it or because he thought there's lessons I need to learn. To the folks who say, listen, you shouldn't be sick. Get over it. And if you're sick, then there's something not right about you because there's no sickness if you're in God's will. And neither one of those extremes have figured out the correct response. Because you and I live in a sinful world and we're impacted by it. And the truth is that sin costs sickness. Truth is, when Jesus went to the cross, he paid the price for sickness. And by his stripes, we are healed. Healing is a part of the atoning work that Calvary did for us. And when we get to heaven, there is going to be absolutely no sickness. There will be no ready cares in heaven. They won't be needed. They'll be all over hell. But the truth is that we need to understand the reality of this. It's not about trying to figure out why is this person sick? It's how do we release the glory of God and his healing power. One of the things I know is this, is that whenever sickness comes, either God wants it to be healed here and now, or if I die from it, I'm gonna be healed when I get to heaven. At the end of the day, sickness will not be in the final equation. Right. Healing will. 
And that's what Jesus says to them. Quit trying to sort it out. It does, it's not about what did he do. It's not about what did his parents do. It's about that God's getting ready to get some glory in the house. Because whatever it caused it, <clears throat> it's going to get ended. Because he is going to see. Never seen anything in his life. And Jesus says, I'm getting ready to make a spitball like you've never seen before. And he's going to be healed. It's another little sidebar that I want to cover this morning. That comes out, and, and a few years ago, this became just a super popular thing to do in charismatic circles. And that is this thing of who sinned here as parents. And it became real popular several years ago. And don't anybody get mad at me when I say what I'm getting ready to say. But the big deal became generational curses. And until you had had the generational curses taken off of your life by people who came up with all these extravagant prayers and people wrote books and made monies on them on how to get rid of generational curses... And I'm not belittling the fact that we do need to be set free from anything that the enemy tries to bind us with. And generational curses are Old Testament. But I'm here to tell you something, and we need to rightly divide the word of truth. When Jesus came, the power of every generational curse was broken. I don't care what your grandparents did what your great-grandparents did, what your parents have done. You may have been impacted if they were dysfunctional people, and most people are dysfunctional in some form, shape, or fashion. You may have been impacted if they were abusive people, but you are not cursed. And it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to stay where we belong, and that is in the truth. You do not need to be delivered from any generational curses. You need to walk into the fullness of what's been done for you at Calvary. And it has nothing to do with what your parents did or didn't do. It has to do with what Christ did at Calvary. And that's what he says to these people that day. He says, listen, quit trying to figure it out. Walk into what I've provided we sometimes get so caught up in trying to understand things that we don't need to figure out because they're not the point anyway. The point is not what caused the sickness. Why has there been sin? The, the point is that we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm here to bring you to redemption. Does everybody still love me? All of you who are caught up in some of that charismatic teaching, go burn those books. Quit being in bondage to stuff that you don't need to be in bondage to. Walk in the liberty to which you've been called. Amen. Allow it to set you free. People mean well, but they need to read John 9. There are no generational curses in Jesus' redemption. They've been removed by the cross. By the cross. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you mad <laughs> right before it sets you free. Amen. He says the deal is we're here to give God glory. The goodness of God. 
when I look at what I've watched God do, I, I've watched two miracles in just the last two or three weeks. Someone who was in the hospital and I was praying with them and they were getting ready to come out of the hospital, but they were going to have to have dialysis three days a week. Be back in for four hours a day, three days a week. Got a call from the husband the next day and he said, here, he says, I don't know, but the kidney started working. No dialysis. Our dear friends, Polo and Sarah, I was in the room. I listened to the doctors. I made them say it in both English and Spanish so that it would be clear and understood what they were telling us. And I heard them say, and this was probably three weeks ago, get ready. You need to find which hospice you want to be in. And we don't think it's weeks. We think it's days. I was with Sarah Thursday afternoon, and she's in a rehab center, is going to go home in December. She can have anything she wants to eat, and I want to see the doctors. I don't know what her medical current diagnosis is, but here's what I do know. It's not what it was three weeks ago. She doesn't need hospice, and she's going to go home. I believe God's going to raise her to total healing. Church, it is time to believe for the glory of God. It is time for us to watch God work and do great and mighty things that we can't explain any other way. And that's what Jesus said to them. He says, everybody's come because we're celebrating the miraculous hand of God. We're here to celebrate that we got delivered out of the bondage of Egypt. We're here to celebrate the miracle of the chariots. How in the world did the Red Sea get parted? Yeah, I know. The wind blew and all of a sudden the water got real shallow because of the time of the year. And then all of a sudden it started raining and it flooded, right? No. All of a sudden God parted the waters. And it was dry ground. And then God let Pharaoh and his army get out in the middle. I think Pharaoh was pretty cocky. He said, I can go across this dry ground too. Problem was, the sea was wider than his army. And God just let them all get out in it before he turned the water loose and drowned them all. And that's what they're here celebrating at this festival of tabernacles. They're here celebrating that God that did that is sending Messiah, that he's a God who does miraculous things. And then in the middle of the celebration, it gets interrupted with this blind man. And instead of people immediately saying, oh, we're getting ready to see the hand of God, they say, now who sinned here? <laughs> Jesus says, listen, watch. So important to recognize the DNA of spirit, supernatural mud. Verse 6. Jesus spat on the ground and made some clay with his saliva. Then he anointed the bland, blind man's eyes with the clay. Something you can never forget is Jesus, was, when he was on earth, was always fully man. At the same time, he was still fully God. It's a mystery that you can't explain naturally. It's supernatural. And yet he was fully functional naturally. 
but he never lost touch with the supernatural of who he was. And why that's so important is to understand this. That same life is inside of you. And we're so used to functioning in the natural world, we forget that we are both children of man and children of God at the same time. So that the same power that was inside of Jesus is inside of you. I read that in 2 Corinthians somewhere. I believe it's chapter 4. About these clay pots. Isn't it interesting that Jesus choosed, chose rather to do a work with dirt? It's interesting because the word that it uses, and, and if you go back, the Greek word here, in some later translations, this got changed, but in the original translations, this word anointed is what the original Greek word means. It, it isn't just that he had this mud that he created. It was that literally he anointed him. Anointing is an amazing thing. And it's when the supernatural invades the natural. And then what happens, happens inside the natural world, but it happens in a way that you can't explain naturally. And that's exactly what took place, is Jesus anointed the blind man's eyes with this clay. God created man from the dirt of the ground and what did he do he breathed on the dirt and man became a living soul Jesus takes saliva that came from the breath of his mouth and he says now let's place these on the eyes now go into the pool and get washed there is spiritual DNA in that mud you and I need to understand there is spiritual DNA inside who God made us to be. And he wants us to recognize what he wants to do. And then there's another element of this. And that is understanding being sent to be sent. Look at verse 7. He said to the blind man, now go and wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Siloam. So he went and washed his face, and as he came back, he could see for the first time in his life. That uh, word Siloam literally translates into the word sent. He sent him to be sent. And there's another whole avenue of understanding in this. Because Jesus was sent to the world. And so in the same way, he was sending him to be washed so that he could go into the temple. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm sent to be made clean so that I can be sent as an ambassador of the being claimed. There's a picture Jesus is drawing here. He's saying, I want you to see that when you've been blind and I mix the natural with the supernatural, I touch you and then you're washed in the sacred pool of my blood. 
Now you're ready to enter into the Holy of Holies. You know, all they could do was go into the temple grounds and they could bring a sacrifice. They couldn't go inside the Holy of Holies. But because Jesus has come, you and I have full access to the Father. We have the ability to go into his very presence. And Jesus is basically giving these people an illustrated story of this is why I came. This is why you're celebrating this festival. But here's what's interesting. Is what the people do with what they watch happen. Determining your destiny will happen according to your faith. Jesus says in verse 5, as long as I'm with you, my life is the light that pierces the world's darkness. That isn't a question, that's a statement. That isn't a possibility, that's reality. Jesus' light pierces darkness. The issue is, do you walk in the light or do you get in the shadows and stay in the darkness? And it's just interesting what happens. I would encourage you to go home and read this entire chapter 9 of John and just meditate on it a little bit because the the whole story is just amazing as you read every element of what happened and we're just touching on it. But it's so interesting because Jesus is touching on this understanding of the issues related to Old Testament law and the grace he was bringing He was showing them in the middle of celebrating a festival that anticipated what they were now having played out in front of them. They anticipated that was coming. They didn't know it was happening in their very presence. Law and grace. Three huge elements here. See, Jesus chose to do this in a way to mess with them. He didn't do it on Friday or Sunday. He did it on the Sabbath. Because if you follow Jewish tradition, the Sabbath was a holy day. And I mean, there were very few things that you could do on the Sabbath that weren't considered work. And so literally it was a day set apart and it was a sin to do anything that was considered work. I remember when I was a kid, you know, we observed Sunday, but we observed it like it was Saturday. And we didn't go buy things at the store on Sunday. We didn't go to restaurants on Sunday because it was the Lord's day. It was the Sabbath and we were to make it holy. I was raised with a lot of legalism as a kid. And there was a lot of legalism here. Because all of a sudden, Jesus has caused this blind man to see. Number one, Jesus has stooped down and picked up dirt, spit on it, put it on his eyes. So that's definitely violated the law of the Sabbath. He's told him to go get in the pool and wash his eyes out. So now he's worked. Every aspect of what he's doing to do this healing is going against the law of the Sabbath. And yet the purpose of the Sabbath was to give glory to the redemption work of God. And what could be far more exciting than to know that Jesus came to set him free. And the spirit of the Sabbath wasn't seeing could you avoid work. It was seeing could you release redemption. Redemption. 
And God wanted them to understand that. And he wants us to understand that. We want it to be the way we think it ought to be. And we create our little rules. We create our own little ways of how God's going to need to do things. And he has a way of messing with that. Have you ever noticed that? Whatever you decide is this is how it's going to be. God will get outside of the box. He loves to mess with it. I'll never forget when I first came to Fort Wayne, one of the first things I got in trouble for at the church I came to pastor was because I let Chuck Thomas come and play drums. Any of you know Chuck? In those days, you didn't know whether Chuck's hair was going to be purple and green that Sunday or was going to be blue and purple or some other color. But Chuck loved Jesus. I want to tell you something. We need to recognize that God isn't hung up on the things we're hung up on. And that he wants there to be freedom in his work. And then here, they're celebrating Messiah's coming. And Messiah's doing a work right in front of them. They don't even know it. What is it that you're waiting for God to do? I'm going to mess with you just a little bit. I have a lot this morning. Have you already noticed that? A lot of you are going to have to really pray through and love me before this day's over. You won't go to heaven. How many of us say, I just believe there's a great move of God that's coming. And I'm just waiting for that move of God to happen. (laughs) What if we quit waiting for it and start becoming the move of God? What if we quit thinking it's going to come? Because here's the problem with some of us older folks. We think it's going to happen like it did in the 70s. And I don't know how to break this to you gently, but the second chapter of Acts is not going to be the group God uses. Because most of them have gone to be with Jesus. It's going to be a whole different thing God does. And are we going to be ready for it when it happens? Are we going to be open to it? Are we going to allow the Messiah to be revealed in us? And are we going to believe that it's going to happen this week? What are you doing this week where you can let the power of God be turned loose? Yeah, I want to see an outpouring. And I do believe, don't get me wrong, I do believe that there's going to be some things we haven't seen yet that are going to be powerful. But I think we shouldn't keep living in that sweet by and by. We need to live right here now and believe God's moving and we're a part of making it happen. And then... Are we willing to believe the miracle when it's happening? What are we going to do? How are we going to stand? I remember the day that I'd heard the doctors give that report to Saren Polo. And I remember, what do you say? I remember saying, we know what we've just been told is natural truth. And we don't deny it but we're going to believe supernatural truths. And then just, I think, less than a day later, there was a group of people. I wasn't even there. And there was a powerful prayer meeting that happened in that room. And I believe that's the reason today that we're not burying Sarah and she is getting ready to go home in a few days is because there were people who dared believe the God of miracles is still at work. Are we going to see miracles every time the way we want? No. 
but we don't quit believing and we stand strong believing that we're going to see God do great and mighty things and we will. So that's what was in front of all them. Now here's the interesting responses that happen. You have the Pharisees. What do they do? They're in a, they're in a real quandary. Jesus messed with them so many ways. And here's another one. It's Sabbath. Here's this man who's been blind. He's an adult. And now he can see. And here's all these people who know him. His parents are there. And they know he's been blind. So what do the Pharisees do? If they admit that he's been healed, then what do they do with Jesus? And if they admit that it's okay that he was healed on the Sabbath, what do they do with their law? They're in a quandary. So you know what they decide to do? Uh, Excuse me, how many of you really know that this man really was blind? Maybe he really wasn't blind at all. Maybe he's just been faking it all these years. Maybe he liked to walk with a cane. But you know, whatever, he's, he's not really blind. Boy, how easy it is to go into denial in the face of spiritual truth because it gets uncomfortable with the things we want it to be when God wrecks everything we want to think. And so the Pharisees decide to deny it. And then there's his wonderful parents. Maybe it was their fault. Now that I think about it, (laughs) not really. They say to him, to them, so, so what do you think? And all of a sudden, they're afraid because, you know, they're part of that religious group. They've always been Baptists, so they've got to do whatever the Baptist convention tells them. And so they, they say, well, you know, he's an adult, ask him. They're afraid. And then here's this blind man. <laughs> I love this line. All I know is this. I was blind. Now I see. I think we have to decide we're not going to live in denial. There is reality. But we've got to quit living in fear. I don't know how much gas is going to go up to. But whatever it is, God's my source. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, a lot of people have just been all upset because what they thought was going to be a red wave has been a red trickle. Well, I trust the God that parted the Red Sea. My eyes are not fixed on natural. They're fixed on eternal. Yes, I'm going to be politically involved, but I'm not going to let politics dominate my spiritual life nor my view of what I'm supposed to be doing in this culture. God deliver us from being just a part of the American conservative right and become the church of Jesus Christ. Some of your values are going to stay exactly what they are. Don't misunderstand me. But that's not what the point is. The point is, if the church of Jesus Christ becomes the church of Jesus Christ, everything else is going to get where it's supposed to be. If you'll spend half as much time praying as you do watching news, you'll watch and see God do great and mighty things. 
God deliver us from this world's way of thinking and begin to see how he looks at things. You still love me? So here's the progression of this man's journey. And this is what's sweet about God. He takes us where we are and he brings us where we need to be. I am saved. I am being saved. I shall be saved. It's a progressive work that Calvary does in us. What this man first knows is he's healed. He didn't even know who Jesus was. He may have recognized his voice from having heard it around before, but he didn't really know who Jesus was. And he begins to realize, well, well, you know, he healed me, and I believe he's a prophet. And then as Jesus begins to talk to him, he begins to realize this is the Messiah. And he begins to understand being washed in the pool called scent. When you got saved, you were washed in the pool called scent. If you believe in Jesus, the evidence of that is that you become a follower. And being a follower means you do what whoever you're following does. There are all kinds of people in America who profess believing in Jesus. But we need a fresh move of people who follow Jesus. And the revival that we all hope for, you know where it's going to come from? It's going to come out of people who decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. And that becomes the driving force within our lives. And so, he began to live it out. You and I are in this festival of Thanksgiving, and we're going into the festival of Christmas. They're American Christian holidays. How's it going to be different this year? You're going to do just what you've always done. Are you going to recognize the Savior is with us? His love is in us. His power is among us. Are you willing to let go of the routine and expect an encounter this week? Where's God going to work in you? God, I'm willing to go do something. If you decide to call me to go overseas, you write on the wall and I'll go. What if God's calling you to Walmart this week? And you're there. And all of a sudden there's someone else you see in that store. And something inside you says... Why don't you ask them if everything's okay with their family? And you go, that isn't why I came here. And something inside you says, why don't you ask them if everything's okay with their family? No, I came to Walmart to buy things. God, I want to do what you want me to do. Where you send me, I will go. But right now I'm at Walmart. 
Until you let God use you at Walmart, he'll never be able to use you in Africa. Till you begin to realize that it's in the ordinary part of our everyday lives that God wants to begin to flow out of us. In the middle of the festival, everybody had come from all over. They had washed at the pool of Siloam. They had gone up to the temple to celebrate redemption, deliverance, and the Messiah. And he was right there doing a miracle in front of them. And they didn't see it. What are you looking at right now? Are you seeing all the negatives about your job, about your family, about your house, about your circumstances? Are you recognizing the Messiah is inside of you? And this is a festival of thanksgiving. And how are you going to manifest it to the blind people all around you? Who has God called you to? And what are you going to do about it? Father, help that to soak in. Help us today to magnify you. God, help us to realize that there is supernatural anointing on us. And then God, embrace that we are sent. Would you let us, even this very moment, recognize the fullness and open our hearts to you? Would you just right now begin to lift your voices and give praise to God? Just lift your voices and give praise to God. Let you hear your mouth giving praise to God. All across this room, those of you online, Begin to give praise to God. Just begin to let it flow. Let it begin to be real. The King of kings, Lord of lords is in our midst. Messiah is here. Give him glory. Give him honor. Give him praise. We worship you, God. We exalt you. We magnify your name. We exalt you, Jesus. We exalt you, Jesus. We exalt you, Jesus. You've just engaged in step one. Go home and repeat. And tomorrow, repeat. And Tuesday, repeat every day. And on Thanksgiving Day, magnify the Lord. And then I want you to do something. When you get home today, I want you to go and look in a mirror and say, hello, anointed one. Now, why do you laugh? I'm being serious as a heart attack and a whole lot better. I'm serious. Go home today, look in the mirror, and say, hello, anointed one. And then tomorrow when you get up, 
You may need a cup of coffee first, but look in the mirror and say, good morning, anointed one. And do that every morning this week. You're driving in your car, look up in the rearview mirror and go, hello, anointed one. You know what you're doing? You're posturing yourself to recognize who you are in Christ. And then, throughout it all, embrace that you're sent. And then when a moment comes and you feel like I ought to do something, maybe simple, it may be something that God just tells you to do. Maybe, you know, a simple thing may be if you go out to a restaurant and you pray over your food, say to the server, we're getting ready to pray over our food. Is there anything I can pray for you for today? Try it sometime if you've never done it. If you're like me and you're introverts, you go, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to tell you something. God has a way of working through that. And I've had times that people just say, well, I don't think there's anything. And it's okay. I've had some other times where people have said, yeah, this and this and this is going on. And what it was, it began to be an opportunity to be sent. If we will engage in those three simple steps, get ready. The world will be changed by the power of God to the glory of God. You ready to do it? All right. Look at your neighbor and say, hello, anointed one. (laughs) I think you're ready.